This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. This podcast is all about the role of inspiration, serendipity, and spirituality in a creative's life, both in the studio and in the workplace. I talk with artists and creative professionals of all ages and backgrounds on what it takes to live a fulfilling creative life. My guest is Wendy Havler Cherry, and she is an author, mystic poet, teacher, spiritual mentor, and practitioner of shamanic sacred arts. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Wendy personally in my studio in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm completely looking forward to our kind of deep dive talk about um, what we're going to talk about here. First off, I want you to know a little bit more about Wendy. She holds three master's degrees, two from St. John's College which I just love that college. One in Eastern Mm. Classics with a concentration in Sanskrit and another in liberal arts. The third is a master's of counseling in contemplative psychotherapy from Naropa University, Colorado. Currently a retired psychotherapist, Wendy has worked for many years with individuals, groups, children, and adults to uncover, reclaim, and empower their own wisdom and deep intuitive knowing. And, you know, uh, Wendy has recently come out with her second book, The Mistress of Longing, published by Womancraft Publishing in November of 2019. Her first book, The Reach is Holy, is poetry inspired by the sacred, was published in 2017. And Wendy, I know you recently moved to Asheville, North Carolina from South, um, from Santa Fe. And I know you are spending time wandering. It says you're in the woods, exploring all things sacred with the woman that has captured your heart. So welcome. <laughs> welcome to this podcast. And uh, thank you. Can't wait to start here. Yeah, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And I have to say, uh, it seems like what we as we've been talking, uh, a big thread of what I want to start the, the podcast today with is the role of trust and change. And I think so many creatives Creative professionals uh, are often find themselves in times of reinventing themselves, making big choices uh, to go left or go right, um, how to um, proceed in life, having to take care of kind of worldly things, but also their hearts, their spirits, who they really are. I think artists are also in the studio um, and also with the world, how to be true to themselves and yet how to have a full life in their work. So I just see you so much having been on this path of so many decision and choice points and change points. And I'd love to begin with, um, I know this has always kind of mystified me when, we, we, when I first met you and still, is how you went, how you left being a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and, and what that was all about. Like, what was your life like before you mm-hmm. changed and you realized, you know, I've, I've got to make this change. That's a pretty big mm-hmm. time of reinvention because that's, um, you have a lot of body of education and academics behind you as a psychotherapist. And so I'd love to yeah. hear anything about you want to share about who you were before that change mm. and what that change was like for you. Mm. Well, um, gosh, where to start? I can tell you that um, it is as if layers of me just started getting peeled away. Um, And I was really hearing the call to leave behind anything that 
in some way felt artificial to me because there was, and not that there is anything artificial about psychotherapy, I don't mean that at all, but um, I think my inner mystic was really ready to sort of bust out and um, a call to be the rebel that I came here to be in many ways. Um, Yeah, (laughs) sort of like, this isn't really what I came here to do anymore. There are, there are intuitive gifts and spiritual gifts and shamanic gifts that really want to come through um, as a way to be a healer that um, the role for me personally as a psychotherapist began to feel very small and I did not feel like I was offering myself up fully in the ways that I wanted to for the women and the children and the groups that I was working with who were entrusting me to sit with them and be with them and share their lives with them. And I just felt that there was so much more that was calling me forward and I dismissed it. For a few years, I really, really dismissed it because I was so afraid of um, stepping out of what felt very safe to me. As a psychotherapist, I could hide behind the letters um, that followed my name. And again, this this was a personal choice for me. I'm not saying this in any way um, against... Uh, the incredible colleagues that I have in the field of psychotherapy, but um, I'm going to interrupt you. I, I even already this theme of being the rebel, right. And, and mm. trusting that, that there's something calling you forward. Yeah. Yes. I want to take a brief. I'd love to know as a child, do you remember the first time that kind of feeling of that? There was another way or another listening or a sense of being a rebel. Are you aware of that in your life as a child showing up anywhere? Hmm. Oh my goodness. Or the first time that might've shown up for you. What a great question. Um, well, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, actually what comes to mind for me is, I was probably between the ages of four and six. And um, I decided very much that I just wanted to take a walk down to the five and dime store. That was probably, I don't know, like a mile, two miles away from our house. And it was, you know, one of those amazing old five and dimes that had the soda fountain and all of the really cool, like old fashioned candy. And, um, and I just was like, this is what I want to do. And I kind of walked out the door and did that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, that's not really something that a, a four to six year old little girl should, should do. Um, but I did it. And I remember getting to the five and dime 
And one of my sister's friends happened to work there. And she was like, oh, you know, hey, Wendy, and like, who are you with? Where's your mom? (laughs) And I was just sort of like, what? You know, I don't know. I'm here by myself. And um, yeah, turned out that it wasn't a very good idea. And um, (laughs) did you get in trouble? I I got into a little bit of trouble. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I didn't really understand exactly why I was in trouble. But um, I love that story because it I can still feel like that feisty little part of me that just was like, well, this is something that I want to go do. And so why why shouldn't I do that? So I just I'm so glad. um, I'm so glad to hear it. because I can, I can feel the spirit in you pretty strong, just even already in our conversation about that there's mm-hmm. some sense that there's some other possibility for you other than maybe then the script that might yes. be lying on the table. So, yes, yes. Absolutely. So, you've, so there you are, this child at, at, you know, five years old or whatever you were, young, having walked to the five and dime, and you get a sense that, well, maybe the world doesn't think that was the brightest idea, you know, mm-hmm. the parents, the, the people. Um, did you did you feel like you kind of were a closet rebel, do you think, until you were older? Or do you feel like that was kind of out pretty strong for you as you went through well, school? As, and- as a young child, I was definitely, um, I was a very good little girl. Yeah. Um, but that changed once adolescence hit. Um, when I was a teenager, especially in high school, I was... Well, um, if my mom is listening at any point, um, she will think, oh, no, why are you sharing this? Um, but I, I really was quite the rebel. And I really had a big uh, a message of, like, I don't care. And yeah. I'm going to do this my way. And it um, was pretty intense. And I broke every rule that there was to break. Um, yeah, I got into a lot of trouble and um, I was, I was, you know, a, a little punk basically. Um, so yeah, it really started coming through that way. I had a message of no and setting boundaries in very dangerous ways. Um, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And here are you, if we, I know we're making a crazy jump all the way to when you're actually retiring from psychotherapy, but making this change, but I I definitely want to get to the present moment. So let's, Mm. let's do this. But I love hearing that, hearing that about you and who you were as a young person. It just, I'm completely enthralled. It's like, so, (laughs) so what is that to leave psychotherapy? How much, how much of a big deal is that? Because that's quite a, there's a certain stability to that, right? I mean, there's a form, a structure, a. Mm-hmm. and knownness what what call do you feel like you're mm-hmm. following and, and following or how much trust did that require in you at that point was it easy or was that a big deal oh my gosh it was a really big deal and yeah. I think I mean it was definitely a rebel call for sure because I felt a part of something yeah. you know I felt a part of something really big um a part of a group a part of a discipline and a practice that many other people could relate to. And it became such a huge part of my identity um, that when people started asking me, well, who are you and what do you do? Um, It was incredibly difficult to figure out what in the world 
it was that I did. If I wasn't saying I'm a psychotherapist, it felt like there was a lot of dignity and integrity and um, all of that that went along with, you know, and people knew pretty much exactly what that meant. So there was no questioning. It was very safe. It was a nice little box. Um, but I don't really like nice little boxes. So um, mm. the longer I ignored the call to step forward and to be um, this new uh, me, um, I started, you know, getting little sort of cosmic two by fours um, until it was finally incredibly clear. Like, yes, it is time to do this. Wow. Do and, you, um, would you be willing to share any of those two by fours? Because I think uh, quite a few people listening have that experience of not liking little boxes or I have a, someone I know that calls us, calls it the gilded cage. Mm, you know, that yeah. kind of, it's like, but ultimately there's this kind of need to break out. There's something else in there. Do, what was, what, do you remember some of the two by fours or what, what was coming up that you were? Well, I mean, some, ob some very general and obvious things was my private practice started not going well, mm -hmm. you know, um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't getting new clients or the clients that I was getting were not a fit for me. And, um, um, there, you know, there were some challenging, very challenging experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and even to the point of like, uh, losing files that should never have been lost. Like it was impossible to even try to wrap my brain around how um, paperwork was getting shuffled and lost and nowhere to be found. And, um, you know, in ways that it made absolutely no sense and, and just shouldn't have been even possible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's as, as far as I can really share, but. Sure. Um, but that's, so that's very interruptive things like that, that very, yeah. Super yeah. disruptive. Super yeah. disruptive. So it was hard to, do you think someone else might've been able to gloss over that? Or do you think it was pretty much like the universe making it impossible for you not to see that? Well, I'm, I'm sure that someone who, <laughs> I'm sure anyone could have, you know, reasoned that out and made it very logical and. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but the, the part of me that, that was getting the hints and that very much wanted to, to follow the inner guidance, like finally, and step outside of um, what felt like a very domesticated life to me and, and actually, you know, uh, go into the wilderness of my longing and be be who I was and trust that, um, was like, yeah, I'll totally take these things as very clear signs, um, that it's time to stop that now. And that's so beautiful. Do you, do you remember like, what was it like? What did you, what, what were some of the things you trusted at that point? I don't know. I know you've got these incredible practices. And when I met you and I still think of you as doing these groups, uh, making altars, um, altar building, but what, what brought you through? Did you start actually doing different things? Were you offering? Did, did you start groups then? Or what, where, what did the path of trust away from the psychotherapist take you? I mean, I, I know that you're such a mystic 
and such a listener to say in sacred spaces now. I'm just wondering what, what showed up at that point? Well, I was really beginning to trust what was coming through in the dream time to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, writing a lot of poetry. I had um, many, 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 many poems that were calling to be put into book form, which happened um, in 2017 after I left the role of psychotherapist behind and stepped fully into um, myself as a poet and someone who sees the world in a very poetic way and makes sense out of life with poetry. Um, so there was that, um, the trusting of the dreams, the trusting of what I was tapping into in a soulful way that just couldn't really be explained or articulated, but was like a bone knowing, you know? Yeah. Um, I hear the body and the poet. So it sounds, that's when your first book happened. That's yeah. when the poetry book came in. Yeah. And you really, and, and what would you say was, did you, do you, what were the biggest fears? And that's only 2017. That's not that long ago, well, right? Well, you know, what? and I'll share actually, it, it was, um, I believe it was in 2015 um, when I was doing some works, um, doing some work as a therapist, doing storytelling and mindfulness at, um, at a treatment center in Santa Fe and working with the power of story and the power of words um, and trust and intuition with groups of men and groups of women, all working with addiction, trauma, and different kinds of abuse. What I was seeing with them teaching meditation and, and again with the storytelling um, and lots of different experiential work that I would do with them. Um, I kept seeing over and over again, how their reach really was holy mm. and that there was all of this shame and guilt that went into an identity so strongly associated with being an addict of some sort or being a victim of some sort and and how there would there was such a rejection of um what they were really reaching for and so i kept finding myself looking at them and telling them how holy their reach was and I think that it was really through sitting with those people and doing those groups, um, which was shortly after I had returned to Santa Fe from living in Colorado for seven or eight years. Um, there was something very true ringing inside of me that I was beginning to trust. I was really beginning to step into myself as a healer. And seeing mm. that instead of the psychotherapist and, you know, um, wanting to use this particular intervention because this is, you know, um, a best practice or um, something like that. It was really like just trusting my gut, even when something felt like, hmm, are you sure about that? And then 
working with that and having it turn into a door that opened for someone else that was really helpful. Um, and so there was just something in that practice that began to really loosen things up for me. And it was in that reach and working with that reach that, um, you know, that's where the title of the first book, The Reach is Holy. Mm. Um, and holy is spelled with a W in parentheses because we come whole and holy. And I do not believe that that can be removed. That can never be removed. And so, um, and so that collection of poetry uh, got put together for that book. You don't happen to have that book just sitting next by or anything, do you? I sure do. Oh, my goodness. Is there right a here. poem that would somehow calls to you right now in our conversation that feels like you could share with us? I'd love to hear. Sure. I was trusting myself and just opened it up to a page. And um, this is a great poem because it's, it serves me on many different levels, um, especially now. Um, and the title, it's a short poem, and a lot of my poetry is short. Mm -hmm. It's titled Wild Woman Within. You were there in my dream, standing in beautiful. I belong with you. I keep sending love poems in the dark. I yeah. completely have the chills there. Mm. Again, the word wild shows up and you mentioned this kind of domesticity in the past. And there was this calling this, I have this sense that you were, there was this calling already of this wild, and this is already happening as you are a psychotherapist. So this, your healing relationship with this wholeness, this, this call, this wild woman within that I, I hear that. Very strongly. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. Wow. What is that when you hear it now? What, what comes well, up? You know, I, I want to share that, of course, around the same time, I was doing a lot of work studying with uh, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Estes, of course, with uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves. And I was going to trainings with her at least once, if not twice or three times a year at the time. And so that whole... Um, sort of revelation of being opened to my wild and by something that felt very wild was just like so present for me. Um, but reading this poem today, of course, you know, I have recently uh, left a life of 20 years um, being married to a man um, to a partner who is still present in, in my life. He's one of the most wonderful human beings that has ever walked the planet as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yet in my heart, I have been sending love poems in the dark uh, to women, to a woman um, for many, many years. And that was a part of my wildness that I kept very safely tucked away. Um, and 
but that inner knowing of, you know, there she was standing and beautiful and that I belonged with her. Um, and so I can see that with the woman um, that I am in love with today that I moved to Asheville to be with. Um, and I also see it with the divine feminine who I um, have been madly in love with for many, many, many years. Um, and who I had the um, opportunity to say yes to and carry a mantle for the mistress of longing who came to me a few years ago now. And um, so all, you know, all of that, like the, this idea of opening my heart and leaving little invitations through poems, um, mm -hmm. like little love poems for, for her, both with a capital H and a, a lowercase H. Yeah. So here you are, it feels like quite a, a life, I don't know, a life listening or a pull towards, I mean, to study with um, Dr. Clarissa Nicolaisis. I mean, that's a real pull and this, I mean, I love her work and the, of the wild, right? And this that is in you, this that knows, this that is wise. And here you are, you've made this transition, you have this book of poetry we hear this um, wild woman within that you have this real relationship. And what was it to, I mean, I'm going to stay within the context of what you just shared in this mood and this spirit. Here you are having trusted, not knowing what that meant, who you were, following into this poetry, stepping in even more. You had this work you were doing with her and, and, um, and here you are. And then I know this book, the mistress of, mistress of longing or that this this happening. I'd love for you to share how that happened and what that was mm. for you. And because it, it just gives me the sense when I read the book that it was an even expansion of all of that mm. somehow. I don't know why. The channels seem to get quite big. Oh yes. It's how would you put that way. for people who don't know even what we're talking about, the mistress of longing? No. Well the mistress of longing um for me is the biggest initiation of my life and I believe yeah. that we all have many initiations during our life it's not just once but it's it happens you know many many times um, for me so far she has been the biggest a huge sacred portal sacred doorway and huge yes that I said yes to <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, but the mistress came through to me in the dream time, um, through two different poems. The first on the spring equinox of 2018 and, um, the second being the mistress of longing poem that came through later in the fall. And both of these poems were handed to me. They were literally chanted over me while I was sleeping again and again and again until I actually made myself get up out of bed, go downstairs, take the iPad out and type out the words that were coming. Now I have to say, I have to ask you, were you someone at that time who paid close attention to their dreams? Had you studied yes. dream work? Was it yes. a practice that you, okay. So it was a practice Absolutely. that you were used to writing your dreams and 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And many of my poetry up until that time had been inspired by dreams. So I would have a dream and then work with the dream and then, you know, sculpt a, a poem from a dream, but I had never been given words that were not mine. Got it. That's um, a new experience. And I just want to out that how many people have I met the power of dream time to alter their course yes. by having them spend time and look in a little different direction than they were or deeper in. So you would never have this such kind important of, work. Yeah. 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 So you would never sure. have this experience. What was that like to receive that, that different quality of it being like you said, almost spoken over you, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it really was, it was um, a disembodied voice that came through and was, I mean, it was literally a chanting of these words and it just kept rolling through, you know, over and over and over again until I finally got out of bed. Um, it was incredible. Um, the first poem uh, was a shorter poem, and the only thing that I knew about it was that the author was a butter lamp. So a devotional light, a light in the darkness. And, and tell us again, because I, when I first read that in the book, I was like, okay, what's a butter lamp? So specifically yeah. tell us. What is that? But what is a butter lamp? So a butter lamp um, often looks like a um, chalice, mm -hmm. and you will find butter lamps all over India and Tibet and um, in temples where Hinduism or Buddhist practices are being observed. And um, often there will be many, many of them lit at once. They they often use um, ghee or butter. Mm -hmm. Um, to be lit with, and they are, um, oh my gosh, I mean, we could spend five podcasts probably on the symbolism of a butter lamp, but I would just say in this moment, what's coming to me is that, you know, it really is um, a prayer to bring light into the darkness, and asking benevolent, you know, forces to come in and help and hear our prayers and hear our devotions and study our practices. Um, and you had relationship with a butter, like with butter lamps. You had that imagery in you when this first poem came? Um, I did, absolutely, from yeah. my previous practices and studies. And, um, and I also even had a butter lamp that was gifted to me by, um, by an old friend many, many years ago when I was still living in Dallas, which is, you know, where I'm from. And um, she was actually an Episcopal priest, studying to be an Episcopal priest, and had just made a trip to India. And she brought this back for me. And um, at that time, I did not know what a butter lamp was. And she told me. Um, and I always kept it and always had it on my main altar, um, and but never used it as a butter lamp. Um, yeah. So I can feel it in my stomach when you speak. So when I mm. hear that, I hear serendipity. Mm. I hear or synchronicity or something that these that doesn't we don't even know is happening and 
it becomes this bigger piece, this, the butter lamp. I mean, it's a gift from your friend and then it's on your altar. You've never even lit it. And then you get this poem. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, again, I hear this participation in something that I I think it's fair Mm -hmm. enough to say is a bit wild or a bit mysterious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? I love that. Doesn't it? I feel the mystery in that and that's coming Mm -hmm. in in terms of the world that you are engaging in or you are engaging in, would you, I love this, this, this writing. Would you be willing to read that for us? The, the, the little butter lamp. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. I think that I can do it without looking. Let's, okay. let's see now that I'm saying that out loud. I've so, got it right here. Um, so. All right. The butter lamp. Don't hold back. Be the face of the earth. This is creativity. I want to show you. Light me. Hmm. Did I get it right? (laughs) Absolutely word for word. I'm reading it in your book. (laughs) And I was, when I read that, I was, it just completely, I was brought into the mystery of, of butter lamp. I've never heard, you know, so, um, here you are. Did you start lighting it yes. after that? <laughs> Light me. I did. I yeah. did. Yes. Daily. It became my practice because here I was being told by this numinous presence. I want to show you light me and having this invitation of, you know, you light me and I will light you sort of is, you know, what it felt like. And so absolutely it became a daily practice. What was that daily? What were, what were your, how big of a change was that for you? What were your other practices as that at that point? Mm. That's not very long ago. That's just a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, I have been a candle person for many years. I do a lot of candle work. I even do a lot of candle blessing work for other people um, who are, moving through challenging times or, or just would like a light going for them. And I'll do blessing work in that way. But I always bring um, candles into the mix. That has always been a practice for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see that as easily as you and I, you and I could turn a light switch on Mm -hmm. that feels like such a powerful practice to me that we always are empowered to bring light into the darkness. Um, so, so that piece, um, has always been a big practice. Um, so has meditation in some way, shape or form, whether I'm literally sitting down on my cushion and practicing, uh, shamatha vipassana meditation, or if I'm writing a poem or if I'm out in the world, taking a walk and, um, doing some sort of centering practice in that way can you Um, imagine just because of uh, partly just i'm fascinated i'm deeply touched by the impact that what i do has on who i'm able to be mm. so you can say practices but what it is like for me this morning sitting by the creek that we have here and watching Mm. the birds and i just it was you know a very simple thing but the impact of that on the rest of my day and how i can show up for other people Mm. in my work uh, or just what I do is, is so big. And so much of what I work with is helping people find those. So when I hear you lighting the butter lamp on a daily level, mm-hmm. I also hear that as a big yes. Right? We're mm-hmm. saying yes to this, yes to this. 
Yes. Absolutely. So what, what was the journey there to this big change of coming to Asheville? I mean, what, what, how did this happen? Or how much do you want to speak about the mistress herself that came up? Yeah, sure. Well, it feels like I can't, I can't really share anything else unless I share about the mistress. So, um, she came several months later and I was still working with the butter lamp poem. I didn't quite understand exactly what it was asking of me because I knew that they were not my words and you know, why were they coming at this time in my life and all of that. So I wrote them down and put them on, on an altar and let them work on me. And when the mistress came and I believe it was September of that same year, Um, and I saw that poem, it was like, wow, (laughs) um, really, uh, it still blows me away. Um, and when you say saw that poem, you mean, because you had gotten up in the night uh, and and typed it it out and typed it out. Okay. Right. Because I I know that from reading the book. I know you said it a minute ago, but just to make sure people get that. So you actually downloaded it. And then and you have this, it. and so the experience was actually seeing it more than writing yes. it. Yes, yes. It was seeing all of the words come together and being given this information um, along with instruction in the poem. And, um, you know, I, I had known for a few years that I was meant to write a book and, and I had felt literally as if I were pregnant with a book. (laughs) Um, and I tried to sit down and, and put a book together actually from different groups, um, that I had taught and different things that I knew and it didn't feel right. It was not congruent and I let it go. And, um, you know, in all honesty, uh, I was speaking with, um, with Randall, my husband, and it was through a conversation that we had that I realized that the poem, The Mistress of Longing, was the book, and that each line of the poem was asking to be fleshed out into instruction, and that she had come forward and said, I will give you this. Now come sit with me and, and I will give you the rest. And so that became a practice that I daily, um, I believe it was actually initially 50 days in a row. I Mm. sat down um, at, at, at my computer and would just talk to her and I would ask her questions because I wanted to learn more about who she was. And so I would ask her a question and it would just come through my hands and she would answer me. And I did that as a devotional practice to her with her for 50 days until she said, now let's write the book. And I did that every day until the book was complete. And the book was complete within a month. I mean, this was not a, I mean, she, she poured through me. Now, did you, um, 
did you share that this was happening with other people? Was it really you and Randall knew at that time what was going on? How private did you feel like you needed to keep this so that it was in its integrity yeah. or not being, you know, brought yeah, to absolutely. the world too soon? Um, I kept it, you know, under wraps in the sense that I was not sharing what was coming through and what mm -hmm. she was sharing, you know, with me. Um, I did have an incredible woman um, that I was working with, another Julie, who um, what who helped me in the beginning uh, figure out how to write this book. Julie Daly um, helped me with that. So she sort of helped me with um, uh, the beginning piece and was that, an incredible support. Was that part um, of the 50 days, would you say, that working yes, with her is coming yes. up with that practice? Because I was going to say that sounded yeah. very inspired. Uh, yeah. And so she, she was very familiar with the material that was coming up. And then, of course, Randall was. And you know, a few other close friends, but I, I really kept it very, very private and, um, was not sharing any content, um, because I knew that I wanted it to be published and I wanted, you know, I wanted this, I knew this was not for me. <laughs> this was for all of us. And I wanted it in, as many hands as possible all over the world. So I knew that I needed to get a publisher. I did not have an agent or anything like that. I, I learned, you know, essentially on my own how to write a book proposal just by looking through a, a template for a book proposal online mm. and um, sent it out to many small publishers and, um, uh, the last publisher that I sent it to was Womancraft Publishing, and I had a response within 24 hours. And um, Lucy Pierce, who is the publisher and has Womancraft Publishing, is incredible. And she and I spoke uh, via Skype and and had tears in our eyes and cried when we first saw each other. She totally understood the mistress. She knew exactly what this book was meant to be, and um, she helped me bring it into the world. So it's a very we, we, magical story. It is a very magical story. How much is this a story of trust and faith? How much were you challenged by your own left brain or, or even inner critic saying, I'm crazy? I don't hear a lot of that. I hear a you lot know, of, dev I hear almost devotion leading the way. I was so devoted to her and yeah. was practicing practicing what she was telling me and sharing with me. And I, I knew, I knew that this was meant for all of us. I, I had absolute trust and faith in this process. Um, so surprisingly, I was able to stay out of my own way uh, for for most of this entire process, which was so incredible. Thank you for for just asking that because it's nice to be able to look back at that and 
and see how how much I stayed out of my own it, way. It's striking, really, because so much of our journey can be the, oh, my God, what am I doing? I trust it. But but I, I really, the quality of your speaking and your sharing was really um, almost feels like you never left the altar during that time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I see the candlelight. Um, and you, and you did have some partnerships, some conversations that were helpful, and they all yeah. seemed to be in the, going in that same direction, and you did keep it private. And so here you are. I'm definitely going to have you read this poem in a minute, but it, it's the words that you received. But, but I'm wondering, now you've got this publisher, right, which is kind of a miraculous meeting, right, yes. in terms of the yes. right person that you both kind of had this recognition the tears, right? That there it had mm-hmm. been, there had been a home for this. It's coming out. There's a sense of it's something larger than just for yourself. Not that that isn't large already, but that it was to really come out and be published and and to be shared. It almost feels like a, a birthing. Do, do you feel like the mistress of longing? Which I, I guess two questions is how is it different than an archetype? Yeah, or how is it she like an archetype, or is it more, or do you not see it that way? And and how is it that do you feel like she has been available in pieces and other other archetypes or do you feel like she's kind of new do you know what i mean i don't feel like she's new i feel like she is a lost or hidden archetype mm-hmm. um i feel like you know lucy Actually, I think that she says this um, at the beginning of the book. Uh, She writes a a beautiful um, introduction to the book. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she has, I, I can't remember now if she says this in the book or if she's said it somewhere else, but she talks about how she knew and felt and sensed that the mistress had, you know, belonged to all of us for always, mm-hmm. but um, had been lost. And, you know, that here, here we are at this time uh, where we are ready to, to hear her, to know her. Okay, so I'm going to read a quote just directly in what you're saying. I think this is sure. what you're referring to in the book. Says I'm so um, as an author of my personal fascination, as an as an author, my per- this is the um, publisher Lucy speaking, right? Uh, my personal yes. fascination is in giving voice to lost archetypes of the feminine. Hmm. I am so deeply grateful to Wendy for introducing me to an archetype of the feminine that has always been there but remained nameless. Hmm. Allowing the voice of the mistress of longing to come through her is a profound act of service. Hmm. What I need to tell you is that the mistress of longing is true and real. She is not made up. You do not need to believe in her. When you open this book, you open a portal to a direct energetic transmission. You can let your heart and mind receive. Can you let your heart and mind receive this possibility? Mm. So that's right there in your intro to the book. So you had this total link up with you two in terms of seeing and honoring. It sounds like really reconstituted, re like really having this mistress not be lost, having her be seen, having her be available now, right? Yes. And so 
you've got this poem, you've had this practice, the book's coming together, a month goes by, you're doing this, you have this kind of partnership with, you know, the woman craft, you've got it out, then what? What happens now? Is it like you've been, you've given birth or is it, what, what is that like? There you are, the book is out, you knew it years ago, but now it's, you know, you didn't know it was going to be this, but now it is. Well, there was, you know, so uh, if memory serves, um, I believe Lucy picked the book up in March or April, if I'm remembering correctly. And then we had set set the date for November 15th for the yeah. book launch all over the world. And um, so there was quite a building up for me um, between the time of writing the book and when it actually launched November 15th, that felt very much like I was shedding skin and I was, I was being birthed. I was giving birth to this book, but I was also being birthed and, and, you know, this was an even bigger yes. This was a, okay, now the world is going to see or even people who know me, who maybe did not know um, my spiritual beliefs, my practices, like really, you know, coming out in a very big spiritual way um, was about to happen. And so there were elements of that that were both exciting and intoxicating and also a little scary. I hear know? it. Um, yeah. Shedding yeah. skin, right? So there has to be, now how much did you, what did you have to let go of there? Because when we're shedding skin, we don't, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a reshaping, right? That's totally a, the identity of being, of being safe and of being, you know, someone who, um, well, you know, honestly, a collector of graduate degrees that, that made me, um, feel somewhat safe in a world that believes that you have to see it uh, to believe it, that it has to be measured and empirically proven to say, well, you know, guess what? Um, I believe in something that cannot be measured, that cannot be seen. And you don't have to believe in it, but I do. Um, and really trusting myself. Uh, and trusting her, like absolute trust in the mistress herself. So here um, you go, and you are shedding your skin, and you're in this process of trust and a lot of letting go. And now I know you just moved to Asheville, and your life is very different. What What was the big? What was so? What, there what was, happened? You know, <laughs> a, a, absolutely, you know, um, my work and and ongoing. Uh, conversations and relationship with the mistress of longing who is still very present in my life. Um, she is one of my primary, you know, helpers. Um, I was saying yes to so much more than what I initially thought I was saying yes to. And that included the parts of me that were very afraid to step out and say, I am drawn to women and I am made to be with women and, um, and that I can choose that. 
and um, there was a wilding that started happening for me in ways that I would I just did not allow myself to be present with really until that time um, and uh, so you were getting information and directions almost or to follow that that were came after really in this process of shedding your skin and really listening and following and saying, I just hear so much about saying yes. yes. Were you, were you shocked when it became that dominant and clear? Oh my gosh, here I am married to a man that I adore and I'm being called to know that I am made really to be with women, that this is actually something it is time for me to say yes to what, what? Um, I don't know that I was shocked then. Um, because I had always known and just, you know, um, pushed away the desires, mm -hmm. but here, you know, here I am with a numinous presence who is all about longing. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, you can't really write a book about longing and not pay attention to your own. And, um, it was very scary because I had a beautiful life and adored my husband. Um, and yet I was also starving mm -hmm. and living um, in a very small way for myself. And so uh, the interesting thing is that when the book was being birthed, I was in Costa Rica um, on a retreat um, with Katie Hess and Lotus Way. And um, Katie Hess is an incredible flower alchemist. And um, the people that work with Katie are absolutely incredible. And I had done the same retreat the year before uh, when I was first befriending the mistress when mm -hmm. I first started writing the book. So there was this very like sacred and auspicious moment of knowing that I was going to be at the same retreat a year later, giving wow. birth to the book and um, putting yeah. that into the world. And um, so there was this incredible um, stepping into literally um, and merging with my true self. And so while I was in Costa Rica, I knew that when I got back to Santa Fe, I would not be the same woman and that I would not be able to uh, live my life in the same way anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, began the process of really giving myself permission to, um, start really having feelings mm -hmm. and um and sensing and being with what i was truly longing for and um lo and behold she was pretty much right under my nose um someone that i already knew um and um i got to make a declaration to her and out of the blue 
as a straight married woman because she was certainly not expecting this and mm -hmm. who would be because I was living the life of a straight married woman. Um, making the declaration to her that I had, you know, feelings and felt very drawn to her. And um, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, my entire life changed. And here I sit in Asheville now with her. Um, she is my partner. Um, and so. it, for all of us that are going through change and following our yeses, and I hear so much of you giving your yes room and space, including going back to that um, Costa Rica retreat with the, you know, Katie Hess, like really giving yourself these experiences that are helping you anchor something, helping you say yes, mm -hmm. continue really not like distracting yourself with all kinds of other things, which sometimes, you know, I do hear with people, I do not hear that here you are. And then you've made this declaration to this woman, you've got feelings from that point on, everything changed. Now you're in Asheville. It's like, what also is part of that process? Like so far, I haven't heard a lot of the, I don't know, the breaking of the, of the old, you know, there's been so much yeah. light and the possibility and the yes and the following. And what, 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 can, what can you say about it now? Because you've now just really in the middle of, right, a very big change of mm -hmm. resituating, locating, living with your partner now. Yeah. Um, so what, um, what does this require of you? Because those of mm. us going through change, I think we're scared to death of what it's going to require. Do we have it? Can we actually, are we going to just get halfway through and say, no, I can't? Like, what is it requiring of you now? Like, what can you share? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I have been in Asheville for a month. Yep. Literally. Um, today, I believe, marks a month. And, um, you know, it has been all of those incredibly liberating, beautiful, wonderful things that we've been talking about. And it has also been a huge death. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like I have... Um, well, it's really interesting. I haven't thought about it in this way until just now, but almost like my own funeral, like a part, like a part of my psyche has been like tending to the fire of um, a funeral pyre uh, for that part of my life that I'm letting go of. Mm -hmm. um, it's been ridiculously hard. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I would be grieving for quite some time. I mean, again, I'm, I did not choose to leave a marriage or a life that was horrible. It was yeah, beautiful yeah. and, and deeply nourishing on so many levels. Um, and so to say goodbye to that is um, just... You know, my clients and students hear me say this a lot, you know, down on my knees moments. So many, so many down on my knees moments. So many um, wild howling of grief moments. So many, I don't know who I am anymore moments. Mm -hmm. Where is my compass? How do I do this? waking up in the middle of the night, uh, terrified moments. 
um, that I believe come from a part, you know, parts of my psyche that are integrating into the new life and um, saying goodbye to the old, you know, is happening on, it's not something that just happens on a, on a emotional level or a cognitive level. It's happening on a very somatic Mm-hmm. level and a very psychic level um so there's been a lot you know moving to a new city which i have done mm-hmm. um many times now you know is a huge transition in and of itself um but a starting over in this way um in so many ways for me i mean it really is like naked skin time uh, show up as who you are that you don't even know who that is quite yet time. Um, that's just, you know, huge. And, um, how does all of your work with say Dr. Um, Carissa Pincolesi, how does that help you or maybe it's even with your other work with your other teachers, but, get through this where the darkness shows up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the death, the dark, the waking up in the middle of the nights, not knowing, and also the joy and the, but all this change, all this transition. What, what have you got with you? That's mm. that keeps, keeps you pointing, you know? Well, you know, one of the things that I learned from Dr. Clarissa Pingole Estes is um, uh, a one word prayer. And mm-hmm. that is enseñame. And enseñame, the way I understand it, is show me, guide me, help me. And so that is a prayer that um, uh, comes out of me quite a lot. <laughs> uh, please show me. Um, and uh, As does my practice with my helping spirits, my shamanic practice of going journeying, um, and being with my helping spirits and asking, uh, for mending, how do I, you know, how do I do this? And, um, what is the medicine right now? And what, what more can I understand about this part of the initiation? What is the remedy? Um, and also going back to, the work with um, Dr. Clarissa Pingola Estes, um, she uh, has teaches her students about uh, curanderismo, and in curanderismo, there is a um, experience called susto, and susto. Uh, translates, uh, and I'm not an expert um, in curanderismo by any stretch of the imagination, but my understanding is that susto is when the soul literally jumps out of the body from shock. And so that has been helpful for me to remember um, because I, you know, I feel like um, there has been a huge dismemberment in my life mm-hmm. and I am now being remembered and put back together in a very new way. And so when I can remember, well, of course there are going to be parts 
that are trying to integrate now that in some way are going through some shock of where, where are we? Who are we? What identity can we grasp onto here when there is none and we're learning everything again? Um, not everything, but, you know, many things. Um, that has been tremendously helpful for me to weave all of these different elements together and almost make like a little psychic blessing bundle of, mm -hmm. yes, these are the things that are being undone and these are the things that are being woven together. I have to tell you, Wendy, we, I really think we need another conversation six months from now. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I really feel like we're meeting in a time when you're mm -hmm. right in the middle of this. And it's, mm -hmm. I think we could have spent the whole podcast time on just exploring this, what it's like to deal with this part of the change. Yeah. Um, and I hear you being so gifted with spirits, energies, guidance. Mm -hmm. And I, I deeply hear you're your, your listening and you're asking for help. I hear a lot of asking for help. And I, every part of me responds to that. I just have no, I mean, I don't know if this even, you need to hear this, but I have no doubt that you are where you need to be because mm -hmm. of all of this that you are open to, including the dark. I mean, how can we be, go through such a change and change our skin so much without, um, without the death part? How can this not be? I mean, it's so an integral part of the tarot deck in terms of what we go through yes. in life's journey. I mean, the death card, it's so part of new beginnings so I hear you in that, but I don't want to make light of it because I hear the depth. I hear you in the deep. Um, and I don't, if you're interested, I'd love to have another conversation in the future. I, I, I have two questions I'd like to end with just because of our times coming here okay. is creatively, is there something creatively that's helping you right now? Because I know you do so much with the writing, the poetry, mm -hmm. the meditation. Is there something that's showing up or is it... Um, a continuance of the practices you've had already? Well, I would say it's both, it's, it's a continuance of my practices and it is also knowing that um, so far in my life, I have used my own life's material creatively as a teaching. And so um I don't feel like I can teach my students or mentor or be of service in areas that I have not experienced in my life. And so this feels like um, I am being taught sort of the lessons under the lessons from the mistress of longing. Um, the, you know, the, the, the dirty, dark, hard spots of what belonging really is and that that will um, become a new part of the teaching. So I feel like I'm in like beginning stages in that way of something new that's being Oh, created. I hear it. I hear it. And your word initiation stands strong in the room for me. It's right with us. Mm. And mm. I want to honor your willingness, your openness, your love that's present. And I, I think we need to close with you reading if you're willing uh, the mistress of longing, the words, how's that? Absolutely. I would love that. I would love that. She's in the room. So let's, let's listen. She's definitely in the room. <laughs> I am the mistress of longing with you since the beginning. I am the invitation 
and your hands opening the envelope. Longing brought you here, births you again and again. I am the impulse to live, the threshold of each new breath, the key that unlocks your vision. I am the unfolding of desire, soft opening. When you close your eyes, filled with ecstasy, I enter. I am the wind breath that pinkens your soul. Leave rose petals at the gate. I will come. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. If people, I believe, want to find out more about what you're doing, I believe your website is shegathersbeauty.com. Yes. And thank you so much. I look forward to the next time. Mm, me too. This has been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> much love. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these podcasts on SoundCloud on my Creative at the Wheel channel. You can learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching for creatives on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.